0: I am boy, men has been like young Chinese, grandfather, one of the million ancestors. I need to find my face, to find my face in this ancestral embrace that is skin tight, but my skin fits me just tight. They're all, there, my ancestral throne, for I am, we are. Hi everyone, thank you for listening. This is Mind Your Margins, a podcast that seeks to foster a space where it's humanly possible to make humanity possible. I'm Michelle Myers and I'm going to try my best to help us navigate through topics about marginalized identities and prioritizing the perspectives of people who may feel invisible or silenced or ignored or erased. And I also want to acknowledge that these discussions are very difficult. But I'm hoping that through these conversations, we can claim space for understanding and compassion. I want to thank everyone who listened to the first episode, and also to those of you who reached out to me directly. Your support means so much. And before I get into today's topic, I'm going to share a land acknowledgement statement. So this is the closest I'll ever come to saying a prayer, and I call out to the ancestors of the native peoples of this land in the hopes that by honoring them, I also honor my mother, who is now an ancestor, and through them, connect to my Korean ancestors and the land of my birth. So I hope you'll reflect on the words as I speak them. I acknowledge that the land on which I live and work are the ancestral lands of the Lenni-Lenape people, whose presence and resilience in New Jersey, Eastern Pennsylvania, and Delaware continue to this day. I recognize that the place where I recorded this podcast also sits on the unceded homeland of the Lenni-Lenape people. I and my listeners take this opportunity to honor the original caretakers of this land, and recognize the histories of land theft, violence, erasure, and oppression that has brought ourselves here. We are grateful to be guests in these lands and commit to solidarity in the struggle for Indigenous sovereignty. This land acknowledgement reminds us of our connections and indebtedness to the Indigenous people of New Jersey, Eastern Pennsylvania, and Delaware saying their names and learning their histories calls their spirits to life thank you very much for listening to that land acknowledgement statement before i move on i want to say to anyone listening who identifies as non-native I really hope you seek out information about issues that are impacting Native peoples. For example, mindful of the topic I'm going to talk about today as it relates to the Asian American community, if you haven't heard about the current human rights crisis of missing and murdered Indigenous women, I urge you to please make yourself aware of it. And if you can discover active ways to be in respectful allyship with these women's families and their... Native communities on this crisis as well as on other issues, I really hope that you will do so. So for my own mental health, I need to express that talking about today's topic of anti-Asian violence and the sexual fetishization of Asian women is very difficult for me. Even with the deaths of Michelle Go in January and Christina Lee in February, and continuing reports from all over the country just like a week ago seven asian women were punched in the face in new york city even with all that there's still little meaningful engagement occurring on this crisis of violence being directed towards asian women and the asian american community in general so i wanted to talk about this topic and about michelle christina and the women murdered in last year's atlanta spa shootings And to get myself into the headspace that I need to be in so that I can talk about it, I just keep telling myself over and over that time to resist is always now. The time to resist is always now. So that I can push myself to say what I want to say. But honestly, I feel so exhausted. To be in a constant state of combating invisibility and erasure and racism and sexism is fucking exhausting. And at this point, I just want to tell you that during this podcast, I'm not going to be repeating the horrific, specific details of how these women were attacked and murdered. It's too triggering for me, and I also want to be mindful that it may be too triggering for some of you. I feel like that there are more than enough news reports and media posts and whatever where you can find out what the police and witnesses have reported about what happened. But with all that being said, I should probably warn you that mostly everything I'm going to talk about in this episode will be me processing this topic through what I anticipate will be my own raw emotions. And so at times I might be crying, at other times I might be yelling and cussing. So I just wanted to give you a heads up that this episode could get very emotional in terms of the way that I talk about it. There's so much I want to say, but at the same time, I don't really know where to start. So I think I want to start with Christina Lee and Michelle Goh and I want to put out into the universe to say to Michelle Goh's family and Christina Lee's family not that they would be listening but I'm just putting out to the universe I'm so very sorry for your loss I didn't know Michelle or Christina but they sound like they were beautiful people and the world shouldn't be hearing about them and who they were this way my sympathies go out to you, my sympathies go out to the families and loved ones of all of the people I mentioned today or don't get to mention. My heart goes out to all of you. Honestly I feel conflicted talking about Christina Lee or Michelle Go, who as I said were killed in New York City over just the past two months. I feel conflicted talking about Hyung Chung Grant, Young A Sun Zhao Kim, Sun Jung Park, Zhao Jaitan, and Dao fang who were murdered a year ago in Atlanta. I feel conflicted because I really don't have a right to talk about them. I don't have a right to. I just want to respect their lives, you know? They didn't imagine being brutally murdered. They didn't imagine that their last moments would be debated about, or argued over, or used as an example, or politicized. They were just working their job, or getting on the subway, or coming home for the night. They were just living their lives. And they had the right to live their lives with dignity to the very last moment. And I just feel like every time their names are brought up in a way where this is all their lives are reduced to. Then their humanity is being stolen from them over and over again. I can't imagine how heartbreaking it is for their families. I want to be respectful to these women and the sacredness of their entire lives as well as to their families' feelings. So right now I want to share what the families have publicly stated that they would like to see in the form of support. If you're not aware, Christina Lee's family has started a GoFundMe page called the Christina Yuna Lee Memorial Fund, where they're raising money for multiple organizations and causes that were important to Christina, including Womankind, which serves survivors of domestic violence, human trafficking, and sexual violence, and also Safe Walks, which matches travel companions for New Yorkers, who feel unsafe while commuting so i hope you will consider donating to the christina yuna lee memorial fund and i want to share what christina lee's sister wrote on the gofundme page on february 13th 2022 our daughter sister and friend Christina, Yuna Lee, was taken from us in a senseless act of violence. Christina was coming home from a night out with her friends. She walked up the stairs to her apartment and was fatally met by a man with ill intent. Her death is part of an alarming pattern of unchecked, hateful violence against women, namely women of Asian descent and women of color, that can no longer stand without consequence. Christina was full of life. She radiated positivity, joy, and love. She supported her friends in everything that they did. She went above and beyond to make those she loved know she was there for them, never expecting anything in return. Her loss is an unfathomable tragedy that her loved ones and her community will struggle with for years to come. Christina's death has shaken us to our core. Please consider taking part in this collective effort to honor Christina's memory and to help prevent this tragedy from happening to anyone else. Nothing will give her back to us, but with your help, we can make the 35 years she spent on Earth mean something for generations to come. Thank you, Christina's family and friends. Thank you for listening to that statement by Christina Lee's family. I wanted to make sure in this episode that I gave space to her family and their desire to honor her life and memory, and how they're asking people to respond to her death in a way that would be most meaningful to them. And similarly, Michelle Goh's family released the following statement on Twitter. We are in a state of shock and grieving the loss of our daughter, sister, and friend. We hope Michelle will be remembered for how she lived, and not just how she died. She was a beautiful, brilliant, kind, and intelligent woman who loved her family and friends, loved to travel the world, and to help others. Her life was taken too soon in a senseless act of violence, and we pray that she gets the justice she deserves. Thank you for your condolences. We ask the media to please respect our privacy during this very difficult time. As Michelle Go's family expressed, in addition to their fears about the memories of their loved one being disrespected and exploited in the media, they're also concerned about lack of privacy and how all this potentially disrupts their own grieving process and how they can protect that. I remember watching a memorial after the shootings in Atlanta last year. This particular memorial was organized by the Korean American Association of Greater Atlanta and I was able to watch it because it was streamed live on YouTube and at the very beginning of the memorial service representatives from the Korean American Association of Greater Atlanta said that they would not be saying the names of the women who were killed out of respect for the families, that it was the families' wish that the names of their loved ones not be spoken. And I think it's important to acknowledge that sometimes the way Americans approach addressing these types of tragedies is very different culturally to the way many Asian people feel comfortable processing it, So as an example, for some Americans, saying the names of victims publicly may be seen as a sign of respect and a call of not forgetting. But for some Asian people, especially immigrant elders, saying the names of victims in such a public way may be regarded as actually disrespecting the memories of their loved ones. They may see it like, why are you saying their names in such a public way? Are you trying to get attention for yourself? And I'm not saying one or the other is right or not right, I'm just saying that what's culturally appropriate is different for different groups of people, and we should be mindful of that. And then the grieving process itself is also different among various Asian cultures and communities. Public displays of grief in certain Asian cultures are done in a very particular way that's appropriate to the grieving and memorializing of the loved one who's passed, and any public displays outside of what's acceptable, again, can be interpreted in a negative way. And in some Asian cultures, some people believe it may even cause continued distress to the spirit of our loved ones as they pass on. But because we live in the United States, sometimes we're forced out of that private grieving process into forms of media engagement that disrupts our ability to heal because we constantly are put into a position where we have to relive the pain and loss of our loved one again and again. So as an example of this, what I'm thinking of are articles that I read after the Atlanta spa shootings, which talked about how the families of the women who were murdered felt like that they had to speak up and talk about their loved ones to almost defend their loved ones by telling the public that they were mothers and grandmothers working hard for their families and who they were as people because law enforcement and the mainstream American media were giving so much sympathetic coverage to the murderer and spinning the story about this so-called bad day that he was having as if he wasn't responsible for killing these women. So the family spoke out to Korean-language and Korean-based newspapers to reclaim the memories of their mothers and grandmothers, and it was that coverage in Korean-based newspapers that finally gave humanity back to these women. And I just feel like it's so terrible that the families were pulled out of the privacy of their grieving process in a difficult and heartbreaking way so that they could counteract the narrative of the killer as someone people should feel sorry for, rather than the victims that somehow he was the real victim and not them. And there was a clear depiction of othering and foreignness about the people who were murdered that dominated those mainstream news reports, particularly at the beginning. But anyone who is familiar with my work around raising awareness about anti-Asian violence knows that it's important to me to always remember the families. Because after all the media is gone and all of us have moved on with our lives, the families are still dealing with the grief and the pain. So I try my best to be mindful of all this and align myself with the families first. You know, when I first heard about the Atlanta spa shootings last March, I was already in a state of grieving. For all of you who know me, you know that I've been struggling for a while now with my mom's passing, so I was already practically living like a hermit. And the day I first heard about it, I remember this foreboding feeling coming over me, like a premonition when I saw breaking news and they said shootings in massage parlors. And I knew, I just knew that Asian women were being targeted. Because many Asian and Asian American women live with that kind of fear every day. For many Asian women in America, we can see ourselves in these women where we have felt objectified and dehumanized so many of us have had multiple experiences that we could tell about our immigrant mothers being treated like shit while they worked some thankless service job where people talked down to them, objectified them, and disrespected them. We all have stories that we could tell about asshole men who have catcalled us, harassed us, touched us, followed us, maybe even assaulted us. So many of us can talk about times where we feared for our lives, but we don't usually tell those stories. We think, why bother? No one will listen to us. No one will listen to me. No one will care. They'll say, oh, you must have asked for it. Oh, you must have wanted it. You know, you should take it as a compliment. And even if they don't say it, we can see it on their faces, the way they look at us, and we'd hear it in their tone of voice oh it wasn't racially motivated that wasn't a hate crime he was just having a bad day yeah see that's what the police said when they arrested that racist motherfucker in atlanta last year and then the days after when this was first reported i was so angry but i was also exhausted and i felt paralyzed i didn't know what to do i cried and i cried and i thought about these women and I saw my mom in them working so hard, and I thought about their families, and I just didn't know what to do. I didn't know what I could do. And if I'm being honest, I felt pretty hopeless. I remember last year, maybe a week or two after the shootings in Atlanta, Katsy and I were talking, you know, Katsy, my poetry partner in Yellow Rage. And Cassie said something that really hit home for me, and she said it other times too when we were asked to participate in panels or on Zoom calls with people who were trying to process what had happened. And what Cassie said was basically, even though people look to her to speak up because they think she is strong or outspoken, she needs time to process too. She said something like, she has the right to take that time and that space for herself to process and to grieve and there was definitely a part of me that felt the same way when people asked me to speak up i felt a sense of urgency and obligation but at the same time i just wanted to be quiet you know i truly believe that quiet contemplation is sometimes necessary in order to gain clarity and i felt like I needed to find clarity about this continuing targeted violence against our community because I just feel like I've been talking about anti-Asian violence and even more specifically the sexualized violence of Asian women that's rooted in some fucked up, sexist, racist, misogynistic, heteropatriarchal pathology. I just feel like I've been talking about it forever and not much has changed. I've been reading a report that was just issued by NAPAWF on March 3rd. Have you seen it? Well, first let me say, for those of you who don't know what NAPAWF is, that's N-A-P-A-W-F, which stands for National Asia Pacific American Women's Forum. And NAPAWF has been fighting for the rights of Asian Pacific Islander women for over 25 years. So last week, NAPOF released a report based on a survey of 2,414 Asian Pacific Islander women, a survey that they conducted in January and February of this year, right at the beginning of 2022, and they found that 74% of the women they surveyed had experienced racism or discrimination in the past year. 53% said the person who mistreated them was a stranger, and 47% said that the incident occurred in public. And another 40% said that they had been sexually harassed in the past year. I'm going to share a link to napos report in the episode description so that if you want to look at it, you can read it for yourself. And all of this is very troubling, but honestly, it's not new. AAPI women have been dealing with this for a long time, and I feel like the wall that we keep hitting against for why nothing changes is this twisted conflation of the model minority myth anti-immigrant sentiment, and these exotified fantasies of us as willing and submissive sexual objects. And these stereotypes are structural, they're systemic, and become deeply embedded in some people's imaginations about us through media and social conditioning that's not being counteracted through education because of how Asian American experiences have been erased in school curricula and the American public educational system. And all this just makes me so angry, especially when I have to deal with ignorant people who think they know something about us just because they watched some kung fu movies or they had a family member who fought in Vietnam or fought in Korea. They don't know shit about us. They don't care about anything we've been through as human beings. It gets on my fucking nerves when people say, oh, you don't have anything to be angry about. You don't experience racism. Fuck you. You don't know me. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what my mom's been through, my entire Korean family. I'm really starting to believe that the systemic structures that have maintained and perpetuated the sexual fetishization of Asian and Asian American women are too deeply embedded into these cultural and policy structures for us to effectively reverse it and how it conditions people to dehumanize us. You know, there's always going to be some asshole who looks at us and hears in their head, me so horny, me love you long time. And I keep asking myself, what can we really do about that? And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying we should give up, but I'm admitting that a lot of the time, I'm doubtful that I'll see significant change in my lifetime. But we have to have some kind of hope. And this is where my hope for the next generation of Asian American women comes in. Nowadays, I mostly hear what young Asian American women are thinking and experiencing through the classes that I teach. And it hurts my heart sometimes listening to my Asian American students and realizing that they're dealing with the same stereotypes that I struggled with growing up 30, 40 years ago. I give my students a unit on the history of the sexual fetishization of Asian and Asian American women And for many of them, it's an opportunity for them to express their own experiences, an opportunity that they don't often get, or an opportunity that they don't get within a space that they feel comfortable sharing in because they don't think they'll be listened to or taken seriously. And I always want my students to know that they deserve to be listened to and they have a right to be angry. I think that sometimes... Within our culture, within our community, we tell especially young Asian American women that they shouldn't express their anger, but we're human beings. We have a right to the full range of complex emotions that we experience as human beings, and that includes anger. So I don't think we should tell young Asian-American women that they shouldn't be angry and they shouldn't express that anger. They have a right to be angry. But I could talk on and on about this. I really want you to hear what they had to say in their own words. So I'm going to share a poem and some thoughts, which were written by my students Gabby Lee and Hayun Lee. And I want to thank Gabby and Hayun for giving me permission to share their work. Their poem is called That Asian Girl, and it was inspired by clips that we watched in class from the movie Slaying the Dragon and the spoken word poem Not Your Fetish, which was written and performed by Anita Yo Ali and Emily Chang from the spoken word poetry group I Was Born With Two Tongues. And there are also echoes of the poem "Angry Little Asian Girl," which is also by Anita. This is Gabby and Hyun's poem. That Asian girl, that Asian girl, the one with the exotic eyes. I want to put her on display like a prize. Let those other guys know that I conquered that Korean landmark. Mark her body with my red, white, and blue flag. Let her know that I'm craving that kimchi spice. She's asking for it, she's just not saying it. Listen, you must have mistaken my silence for submission. Mama Lee always said, ignore stupidity. Do what you are here to do. Get that college degree. Prove to others that you are more than just that Asian girl. But ama, oh, when I walk out onto the streets, I fear for all I am seen as is the color yellow. They whistle and hoot, demand that I give them a massage and then something more. I walk past, head down low, afraid that my life could be on the line. I know that my ancestors did not cross the Pacific for history to repeat itself. I am not someone's mere order bride. I am not someone's fantasy sex toy and I am nobody's subservient housewife. Call me dragon lady one more time and I'll unleash my fiery dragon wrath onto you. I am Korean, I am American, I am Korean American. I represent two sets of red, white, and blue with a hint of black from my Teguki. I am not muted, I am bold, I am strong. I carry the pain and suffering of our female ancestors on my shoulders. I write of injustice and sorrow with my hands. I scream with rage on my lips. So don't you dare touch my body without my consent. Don't you dare speak ill of me and the thousands of blessings my ancestors have prayed over me. I am not your toy made in Korea. I am not the spice to your wild imaginations. I am not the cure to your yellow fever. And most importantly, I am not just that Asian girl. And this is what Gabby and ha had to say about their poem. We are attempting to convey the frustration and anger built up from Asian women continually being sexualized and essentially preyed on by men. We chose to write a poem because we thought it would be the most effective way of expressing the anger we personally felt. The impact that we wish for our poem to have on our audience is to have them understand the pain, suffering, and humiliation that Asian women suffer on a daily basis. We are not a fantasy or a fetish. We are human beings with a painful history of being catcalled on the streets, hearing crude jokes, and being humiliated by people fantasizing about our bodies. Every day, Asian women are scared of going through that experience, but do others truly know of the pain we go through? We chose to center our project on this topic because we felt as though it was such a common occurrence but rarely talked about. We use the phrase she's asking for because it has been said to many victims of sexual assault and unwanted sexual passes. We have experienced many men use this phrase to justify their immoral actions and intentions towards us. Often Asian women do not speak up about this because of our fear of being victims to Asian hate crimes or because our parents have instilled this mentality of being assimilated and harmonious citizens. But we recognize the duality of our racial identity and believe that just because we are Asian, we are not less American than others. We demand that men respect us because we refuse to be submissive and quiet about the injustice we have faced. We contradict the stereotypes that Americans have placed upon us and explain the complexity and individuality of us, Asian women. Thank you for listening to that. It is so inspiring to me that young Asian American women like Gabby and Hyun are claiming their voices and saying this is fucked up and giving testimony to their experiences. Their voices are strong and unapologetic and resilient and they give me hope that we can claim our personal power and engage in action based on that power. It gives me hope that this generation of Asian American women coming into consciousness and finding their power in their early 20s Will fortify a movement where we can transfer feelings of empowerment to actions of empowerment. But I'm not going to sit here and preach and pretend that I know how to make that happen. All I can really do is express my hope that young Asian American women, really AAPI women across the generations, but in particular young Asian American women engage in meaningful ways with each other to form a unified and supportive community of AAPI women, that we can share our experiences and think about advocacy work and ways to raise awareness, find organizations that are doing this work and determine practical ways to support their efforts to demand and initiate change. Man, I would love to see a movement of Asian American Pacific Islander women building and networking and creating a sustainable community of support And I know that many of us differ in terms of how much time that we can devote to something like this and, you know, where we are and feeling like we can get involved. And so that can be in small ways, like listening to each other or checking in with each other just within our own friend circles and our families to bigger ways like leading self-defense workshops like Philly Solidarity did last year with their How to Use Pepper Spray workshop or bystander trainings like Asian Americans United, to larger ways like demanding policy changes like NAPOF has done, or even just contacting your elected representative and asking them what they're going to do about targeted racial violence against the Asian American community, which the Center for the Study of Hate and Extremism reported had gone up 339% in 2021. And that we can respond to their lack of response at election time. You know, you can decide for yourself what you feel comfortable with and have time for. But I feel very strongly that we can't wait for them to change on their own because we'll be waiting forever. We have to initiate change through our own convictions and actions for ourselves, our families, and our community. So I know that if I'm going to talk the talk, I have to walk the walk and I thought that so that you could better understand why I wanted to talk about this topic in this episode that I would share my own experiences, my experiences of men catcalling me, shouting blue comments to me, following me, touching me, trying to touch my hair Trying to smell me, driving around the block so they can keep talking stupid shit to me. And when I was a teenager, I was sexually assaulted. So when these things would happen to me, I often felt powerless and fearful. and would freeze when these things happened, especially if I was out in public alone. And there was this one time, about 25 years ago, this was before... I had children, became a mother, there was this one time when I was walking through Temple's campus past the bell tower and there was this guy sitting on the bench and he started to follow me. And he kept touching my hair and telling me how beautiful my hair was and I kept pushing him away telling him to stop touching me and to stop touching my hair and to leave me alone and he followed me for two blocks through campus and I kept pushing him away and telling him leave me alone stop touching me and this was during the day people were walking by people had to see what was happening but no one did anything. No one tried to help and I was so fearful because I lived in an apartment that was not far from campus and I was afraid that he would never and I was afraid that I wouldn't be able to get rid of him and that he would try to follow me back to my apartment. So what I ended up having to do was I told him that I was in a hurry and I had to go and I would meet him the next day. And so That was the only way that I could get him to stop touching me and following me and to go away. And I was afraid that even though he had walked away, that he was still going to try to follow me to my apartment. So I went a different way and kept looking back to see if he was following me. And I walked around the block in different ways three times. But I stayed on campus so that I could be near people but when I finally got back to my apartment I was so terrified that he had followed me and that I hadn't seen him and I stayed in my apartment for several days because I was just so afraid that he was out there because I never obviously I never met him the next day and then I kept thinking oh no is he going to be mad at me and try to attack me if i leave the apartment and you know we had an uh, the apartment that i lived in there was a entrance where you had to have a key to gain entry but when people come in they don't check to see who's behind them most of the time you know they would just come in and then they would go to their apartment and i was always afraid that someone would come in and then this guy would follow them into the apartment and I try to figure out which apartment I lived in. So I had that experience. I had that fear. And when I finally felt like I could leave my apartment, I kept looking around thinking that he was hiding behind bushes or whatever. And I, and I decided I could live like that. I couldn't live being fearful like that. And I told myself, never again was I gonna let myself feel powerless like I did that day and in the days that followed. So I decided to take a self-defense class at Temple. I took the class and I did feel more empowered. I felt like I had a plan if I ever saw him again or if anyone tried to touch me or followed me and I wanted to do more. So then I started to kickbox and I did kickboxing for many years and then I got pregnant and had my children but whenever I could I still practiced kickboxing and around the same time I discovered the Asian Arts Initiative in Philadelphia, I met Katzi, started Yellow Rage, tried to speak up about my experiences, try to raise awareness about issues relating to the Asian American community that many people might not be aware of. And then when Young was about eight or nine years old, I wanted to give her a foundation of self-defense. And I also wanted us to have a mother-daughter activity that we could do and so i signed us up for Sudo and like i said i wanted it to be a mother-daughter thing but i was hoping that it would make her feel strong i didn't ever want her to feel like that she was weak or powerless and we got to the chodanbo level which is just below the black belt So anyway, that's my journey with this in a nutshell and I shared it because I wanted you to know that I have had this experience too and I have felt fearful and doubtful but I tried to find something, some form of action that I could take that would help me to feel more empowered that would help me recognize the strength in myself and so right now I want to encourage you to think about what would make you feel empowered and strong and how you can transfer feelings of empowerment to actions of empowerment that you can take for yourself and for your loved ones. And if you're listening to me talk about all this and you're thinking to yourself, but I'm not strong or you still have this overwhelming fearfulness I just want you to remember you are strong one of the things that I've heard talked about over and over again I've even heard Asian American people say that they target us because they think we're weak and they think we're not going to fight back and they think we can't fight back and so I look at that as a weapon, that as a woman, as an Asian American woman, I know that some people will underestimate me and I feel like I can use that against them. Some people are going to think we're weak and that's why they target us, but we're not weak. We're strong. Our families are strong. We come from generations of ancestors who are strong. And also remember that Asian grandmother who fought back in San Francisco last year? The guy who punched her thought she was weak, but she showed him she was strong. And you are strong, too. You can do it. You are too precious So find what approach would work best for you because this Women's History Month, I honor you and tell you how amazing you are, how valued you are, how needed you are, how loved you are. (sighs) This was a really hard episode for me. I know that through the whole thing, I just sounded like I was just going to cry from moment to moment, and honestly, I was. But I think it's okay. I think it's okay. Maybe you need to hear me like this. Maybe you need to hear me exhausted. And also honestly admitting that there are times where I feel hopeless, but at the same time I'm not going to give up the fight. Thank you for letting me share space with you in this very honest way. I want to end this episode by remembering all of the people we've lost to anti-Asian violence. I know i focused this episode on violence being directed specifically to AAPI women, but men in our communities are being attacked too, particularly elders. So I want to honor everyone who has experienced anti-Asian hate and violence. And my love language is my writing, is my spoken word poetry. So I want to do that by sharing the last few lines of my poem, Don't Say Last Time which I wrote for Vincent Chin and his mother Lily Chin. And if you're not aware, this June will be the 40th anniversary of Vincent Chin's murder. And I was inspired to write this poem after I watched the film Who Killed Vincent Chin? And I heard Lily Chin talk about the last time she saw her son alive and her final words to him, which were, don't say last time, it's bad luck. And also in these lines from my poem, I mention Joseph Valetto. So if you don't know who Vincent Chin or Joseph Auleto were, I hope that you look them up. And please, please take action to empower yourself. Even if you don't consider yourself political or a poet or an artist or an activist, you think I asked for this? Sometimes we're forced to be so by accident. Or not, like the family of Joseph who have braved the volcano of violent life shattering eruptions to beat their love against social dysfunctions in honor of their son and brother, to smother racial hate with love for one another. And such acts of love last beyond a lifetime because they allow us to never say, I love you for the last time. So don't say, last time, say, I will always remember you. Say, I will always fight for you. Say, I will always, always love you. Thank you again for listening. I am so grateful to you for spending this time with me and sharing space. In my next episode of Mind Your Margins, which should post by April 15th, I'm planning on asking the question, how can BIPOC communities engage in meaningful and purposeful and welcome acts of allyship with each other? I hope that you'll join me for that episode. You can also reach out to me via email at mindyourmargins at gmail.com and on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And as I mentioned earlier, Myung and I are posting on all of the My Your Margin social media platforms, the links to the GoFundMe page for Christina Lee's Memorial Fund, as well as the link to napoffs report. I hope that you will consider donating. Until next time, please be mindful of yourselves and mindful of others. Take good care. face to my face in this ancestral embrace that is skin type, but my skin fits me just right. They're all there, my ancestral throne, for I am, we are, lifetime's infinite, billion strong.